if you're a social media person, uh, then you know, uh, you, you have the term following, you know, probably in your head a lot if you're not a social media person. To follow somebody on social media really just means that you're going to get notified anytime that they post something on social media. And uh, the number of followers you have has kind of become uh, the popularity contest, right? So people get ranked for having a particular number of followers. So on Instagram, uh, the, the, the number two person in the world, uh, most followers, and this is like 500 million people follow this account, is Cristiano Ronaldo, the soccer star. Right behind him, with just a little lower, is actually uh, Leo Messi, also soccer star, although that data may be old after Leo just won the World Cup. He may have jumped Ronaldo in that case. Uh, number three is Kylie Jenner. And uh, if you don't know, she, she does not play a sport. Uh, she has not acted in a movie. She is not a politician. She is famous for, you guessed it, being famous. And lots of people want to see what Kylie Jenner is doing or wearing or whatever, right? So she's number four on the list of, of followers. I'm hundreds of millions of people. Number one, I hate to disappoint you. You were waiting for number one, and it's Instagram. A little self-serving, Instagram itself has the most followers on Instagram. On Twitter, the number one person, the person with the most followers on Twitter is Barack Obama. Second, kind of right behind former President Obama is Elon Musk. And then we kind of have our, our three uh, pop stars. So you got Justin Bieber and Katy Perry and Rihanna. Those fill out kind of the top five. So really, if you are dying to know what Justin Bieber, Bieber has to say about anything that's happening in the world, you too can be one of his followers. In fact, maybe you are. Maybe you are one of the millions of people that has, uh, that has followed Justin Bieber on Twitter, and that's just fine if you have. Of course, though, as Christians, we use that word a little differently, don't we? We talk about what it means to be followers of Jesus, and we talk about it in a much more holistic way. To be a follower of Jesus is not simply to do something for recreational purposes or maybe I just kind of want to hear what this person has to say to comment on things. No, following Jesus is a lot more holistic. For instance, you probably, uh, you, you may want to see what Kylie Jenner's wearing, right? But you're probably not going to pattern your life around her. And you may want to hear what Elon Musk has to say about whatever today's news is, but you're probably not going to name your children XAEA-12 or Exadark Sidereal. Those are two of his 10 children, I believe. Now, Jesus calls us to follow him, though, in a way that's different than we might follow a celebrity on social media. Jesus calls us to follow him fully, holistically, to dedicate our lives actually to him, to put him at the center of our lives and revolve everything else in our world around him. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? That's really what the question that we're digging into for the rest of the next few months. Well, here's one answer from this text. Following Jesus is the difficult and determined decision to depend on Jesus for direction and the declaration of his distinction for the duration of your days. Is that a little too much? We'll shorten it a little bit. How about this? Following Jesus is the difficult daily declaration and dependence. How about those? We'll stick with the letter D. It's difficult daily uh, uh, declaration and dependence. So let's look at those. 
What do I mean by difficult? Well, you know, when you open it up, a little background here first, Jesus is in Galilee. He's walking close to the Sea of Galilee, which is a pretty large body of water. I think it's something like 112 acres. Uh, Canyon Lake is like 12. So just for, for reference, it's a large body of water. And in large bodies of water like that, there's a lot of people that are going to be out there probably trying to catch the fish that are in that large body of water. And so Jesus comes up on some fishermen, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Actually, the way that Mark kind of lays it out, it's nice and quick, it's immediate. Jesus calls, they answer. But of course, the Christian life is not easy. It involves a lot of really difficult decisions. I hope this isn't a newsflash to you, right? Is that living the Christian life is not always easy. It involves actually having to sacrifice a lot of things. It did for these guys, and it does for us. Uh, Psychologists will tell you that um, a known dysfunction is easier to handle than an unknown function. You hear that? A known dysfunction is easier for people than an unknown function. Even if it's destructive to your life, even if it's dysfunctional, if it's familiar, it's easier. Jesus is actually calling us away from the familiar. Sometimes he's calling us away from familiar things that are dysfunctional and destructive. Sometimes he's even calling us away from things that are not bad, but actually good. But he's calling us to put those things in second place or fifth place or 20th place rather than in first place in our lives. For instance, these men leave their families. We're told here especially that, uh, that James and John leave their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants working. Now, Mark doesn't tell us if Zebedee was cool with that or not. Mark doesn't tell us what Zebedee thought about that. But all Mark tells us is that they had left immediately. Jesus calls and they leave. Christians may also be called to do difficult things with their families. Now, sometimes that may be something that seems like it's not quite as difficult, but ends up being pretty difficult in practice, like reserving Sunday for worship and family and not having your kids' sporting activities take over your entire weekend. Sometimes it's even harder. I know a couple who had to really wrestle in prayer for months and months about whether they could faithfully attend their daughter's wedding. And I pray that the Lord never has to put, never puts me in such a situation. That sounds really, really hard. But sometimes we'll wrestle with those things. What does it look like for me to follow Jesus even in the midst of my family? How am I to love my family, of course, while I follow Jesus, but how am I to put the Lord first in those things? And it includes work as well. Another thing that we have to sacrifice, even the good, uh, the good thing of, of actually having something to do and providing for your family. These men actually sacrifice their work. They leave their fishing nets. Now, for some of us, we might think, um, that sounds super easy. I've been fishing. It's boring. Uh, I didn't catch anything. I'd much rather go hang out with Jesus than sit in this boat and not catch anything. But for these men, it was different, right? It was their job. Uh, We're told that they're with their father, Zebedee, and the hired servants. So it's more than they're just out fishing kind of for fun. This is is actually the way that they put food on their family's tables. If you go and you read the account in Luke, actually, it's really interesting. Luke tells us a few more details. First, he tells us that all these guys were in business together, right? So they were partnering. So this is more than just kind of being out fishing. It's a small business. Luke also tells us something pretty interesting. 
is that before Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, he does something incredible. He walks up on these fishermen and they've been fishing all night and they haven't caught anything. It's been a terrible day of fishing. And Jesus looks out and he says, you know what? I know you're about to come in. You think your day is over. Cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And they do and they pull up the biggest catch of fish they've ever had. Now, think about it again. If you're a small business owner, if your, your living is made on fishing, and you just pulled up the biggest catch of fish you've ever had, you're seeing dollar signs. You know that this, these are the fish that I can then take to market, that this is the best economic day of work I've ever had in my life. And then what does Jesus say? Leave it. Leave it and follow me. That's a big deal. Jesus is actually calling them to take the trust that they had in their vocations, the trust that they had in their wealth, the trust that they had in their own ability to provide for themselves, and to transfer that trust to him. To say, you know what, even in the midst of having the greatest economic windfall in my life, this guy's more important, and I'm going to put everything down to follow him. That's difficult, isn't it? And the Lord may be calling you to similar kind of difficult decisions because following Jesus will include sacrifice. I don't know if you've ever read the book by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Just the title alone is worth noting. It is called The Cost of Discipleship. There is a cost. Secondly, discipleship or following Jesus is not just difficult, but it's daily. Now, this is fascinating, right, is that we see these men who are called, we see them called away from their families and their jobs, and we see them come and, and really put their lives on hold for three years to follow Jesus. Now, if you keep reading, though, in the gospel accounts, you see that Jesus has multiple disciples. There are many who have come and are worshiping him and are listening to him teach whose lives he is transforming. But there are only 12 that he calls to follow him around. So basically, these guys are being called into full-time missionary work, but most of the rest of the folks that we see in the gospel accounts are not. In fact, though some are called to go, most are called to stay. Now, I don't want to downplay the going. Some of you may be called to leave all that you're doing. But most of you are going to be called to stay doing what you're doing and doing it to the glory of the Father. And doing it in a daily practice. So what do I mean by daily? Well, the first thing I mean by daily is that it means intentional. A daily following of Jesus is intentional following of Jesus. It's intentional discipleship. I read the other day about an interview with a, a concert violinist, one of the best in the world. And she was asked, how did you, how did you get so good, right? What, what's the secret? What's the secret for, for mastering this instrument? And she really said these two words. She said, it's planned neglect. She said, it used to be where I'd get up and I'd do all the stuff I needed to do for the day. And then I'd practice my instrument. She said, it really wasn't until I reversed those things that I saw some real progress. When I decided that I was going to plan neglecting the other things and practice first, then there was a huge breakthrough. In a similar way, that's what we're called to in our daily walk with Jesus is planned neglect. Is that we put him first. We put God's word first. We put engagement with him first. And we build everything else around that. By daily, also, I mean uh, it is lifelong. So it is an everyday, lifelong process. Over, th over the Christmas break, 
spent some time with family and uh, went to lunch actually with, with, uh, with Joy's family and with the, with the guys in her family. So it was me and Joy's dad and Joy's brother and then our brother-in-law. And the four of us went to lunch and we were talking and we started kind of talking about, you know, highlights of your last year. What was the last year like? We kind of started doing the reflecting like that. And Joy's father began to talk about some, some real breakthroughs and revelations in his life. How he had started to actually see some things in his own life and heart, some patterns in his life that were broken. How he had actually hired a coach to help him understand those things better. And was digging in to try and understand, here's these idols that, that seem to have been in my heart for the last, I don't know, 40, 50 years or so. And I'm just now realizing them. And here's me jumping in to try and engage those idols and rid them of my life. He's 78. And he's still digging in in that way. What an encouragement that we don't stop following as we age that we still get to plead with the Lord, change my heart, O God, work in me, change me, up until the day that we go to see Jesus. It is daily in that it is continual. And then here's another thing. It's daily in that it is progressive and sometimes very gradual. There's a a pastor in New York City who talks about a time he attended uh, a, a fundraising banquet and it was a fundraising banquet for, um, for, for an addiction recovery group, a Christian-based addiction recovery group. And they had, you know, like many of these banquets did, they had some of their clients come and kind of give testimonies and people who would say, let me tell you about what the Lord has done through this program. And one of those people was a man who was a former henchman for the mob. And he started to tell the story, and he, and, he, and he used this illustration. He said, you know, Jesus has changed me completely. It's been amazing. For instance... This last week, I got on the subway, and I was wearing my long mink coat. And these two young punks came up, and they pulled out a knife, and they tried to rob me with my coat and take my coat from me. And so I took out my gun, and I shot them both in the leg. Before Jesus, I would have shot them both in the head. Baby steps sometimes, right? It's good for us, I think, as we look at ourselves to say, Let's not talk about yesterday. Let's talk about 10 years ago. How is the Lord working in me? Even sometimes following Jesus can mean really small steps. That's still progress. It's still growth. So there we go. Following includes difficulty. It is daily. Here's the third thing. It is declaration. What do I mean by that? Well, here's simply what I mean by it is that uh, discipleship and mission go hand in hand. Okay, it's always been that way. It was that way for these men in this passage. It is that way for us. Discipleship, following Jesus, and mission, proclaiming and being part of his mission in the world, always go hand in hand. I mean, look at what Jesus says to these men. He doesn't simply say, follow me and you'll learn a lot. Follow me and your lives will change and everything will be great. Follow me and you'll reach kind of a higher level of consciousness. No, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That phrase actually comes out of the Old Testament from Jeremiah, where Jeremiah is talking about those who are returning from exile. And Jeremiah Jeremiah talks about fishers and hunters of men, those who will call to repentance God's people who have left him and have turned to idolatry. And Jesus is saying the same thing to these fishermen. 
I'm going to use you to call my people to repentance and to call even the Gentiles, those who have not heard me, to, to faith, initial faith. And God still does the same with his people. He calls us to be a part of his mission of proclaiming his goodness in the world. And some of you are thinking, why didn't we just put this in the difficult category, right? Because it's so hard. And sometimes it does feel hard because we're called to it holistically. It happens in relationships, talk that we have with friends and family and neighbors, where we get to actually declare to them the hope that we have in Christ. It also, though, comes in every, every, every other aspect of our lives. For instance, our vocations, our jobs, when done to the glory of God, actually proclaim his glory, show forth his gospel. It does it in our relationships with each other. Jesus tells his disciples that their love for one another is actually what's going to show the world who God is. And it happens in our worship services. Let me ask you this. Is a worship service supposed to be for Christians to come and to grow and to learn and to be edified and to praise and to offer their praises to the Lord? Is that what a Christian worship service is for? Or is a Christian worship service for those who don't know Jesus to come and be introduced to him? The, the, the 80s and 90s term we would have used would have been seeker sensitive. Is that what a Christian worship service is for? Here's the answer. Yes, both. Worship has always for God's people and will always for God's people included both. A calling of Christians to come and be renewed by the gospel so that they might turn from their idols and turn to Jesus as a continual daily process. And a Christian worship service has always been for those who don't know the Lord to come and turn from their idols and turn to Jesus for the first time. And also, it's for Christians that they might go and bring their friends and their neighbors to that worship service. So we have actually a fundamental value in our church that we want our worship services to be both rooted and accessible. Rooted in the gospel, to feel like they really are buried deep. We saturate it with God's word. We want it to be rich and full and meaty. And we want it to be accessible to others so that they might come in and know. We're not doing this on our own and we're not doing it for ourselves. We exist actually for the world. That's declaration. That's what we mean by that. Here's the final D word, and it's dependence. We do all of this dependently. Let, let me just say this to you. If, if your understanding of Christian growth is that you just get more capable as you get older, you have misunderstood Christian growth. There is no such thing as Christian growth in independence. Christian growth is always dependent growth. I heard a pastor give this illustration, made a lot of sense to me. I grew up um, on the Texas coast and grew up close to water. We had a boat, so I grew up water skiing. And, and following Jesus in some ways is kind of like water skiing. So if you've, if you've ever been water skiing, think about this. I mean, you start, you know, with a huge, you know, life jacket on and enormous skis. You're just kind of bobbing up and down in the water. It's, it's terribly goofy. Maybe you feel like that's my whole life. That's just kind of what I feel like. Um, you know, but then, of course, you want to get up and do something, and you need the power to pull you up, and you need, actually, the connection to that power. 
So the boat with the motor is that power, that is God, but you need actually to be able to hang on to that boat and that ski rope, that line, is Jesus. And as he pulls you up, you realize the amazing power of God and the connection of Jesus to actually enable you to walk and to follow. But, but wouldn't it be absurd if at some point in your life you said, you know what, I think I've got this down. I got this skiing thing down. Yeah, I can kind of cut in and out of the wake. I can even do some cool tricks now. I should be able to just let go of this rope and ski on my own. But of course, that can never happen. When you let go of the rope, you sink almost immediately. Maybe you get a little bit of extra, you know, from the kind of leftover juice, but you're going to sink. It doesn't work if you're not connected to Jesus. The same is true in discipleship. The gospel is always the truth that we need. Our connection to Jesus is always the power for our lives. It is the thing that we need in order to, 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 to root out sin in our lives, to, to overcome difficulty, to, to fulfill our calling, to love our neighbors and to love the Lord. The author Jerry Bridges describes it this way too. He talks about it um, like you're, you're coming along a path and you see there's this big log in the road. What are you going to do? How do you get the log out of the way? Let's say, for instance, this time this log is a particular sin in your life. Well, how do you rid yourself of that sin? There's a few options. One is just you lift it on your own, right? This is the just do it kind of approach to Christianity. Or, um, or I don't know if you remember the old um, Bob Newhart kind of sketch where he plays a, a, a psychologist or a, a a psychiatrist and, and is, he's, a, he's a counselor. Somebody comes in and they're, they're explaining all of these terrible difficulties in their lives and his psychoses and he says, well, I have two words for you. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Right, maybe that's kind of the way that we think about it. That's what we do. Just stop it. Just quit. Well, if you've tried that, I think you know it doesn't really work. So then we can kind of swing over to the other side. Maybe our other option is um, let go and let God. Which, by the way, I don't even know what that means. We've kind of swung back and forth here. So what we really need is actually both of those things, right? There is some truth, of course, in the fact that we need to depend on the Lord. And there is some truth, of course, in the fact that we need to engage on in it. So how do we do that together? Well, here's our third option is that maybe it's just me and God picking up this log together. He's on one side, I'm on the other. We're going to kind of work a little teamwork. Let's get the log out of the way. But that doesn't work either, does it? Because I'm not as strong as God. It's not going to work for us to kind of say, hey, let's try a little teamwork here. So what's our final option? Well, here's what the Bible says. It's nuanced. It's interesting. It's mysterious even in some ways. But what the Bible says is actually that I work because God works in me. Is that I actually am called to come and to lift that log uh, out of the road to get it out of the way, but not because I have the ability in myself, but because God actually works in and through me to accomplish things that are impossible for me. I am engaged and fully dependent upon the Lord. Friends, this is what Jesus actually tells his disciples too, isn't it? Jesus does not say, listen, why don't you go out and fish for men for a little bit? Come back next week, tell me what you did, and then we'll see. Maybe you can follow me, right? It'll be a little test. He doesn't say that. Neither does Jesus say, listen, follow me, and then, you know, go and do some stuff 
I, I don't really care what you do, actually. Jesus doesn't tell them, follow me and then go work on your own. Jesus does not tell them, follow me and then, you know, let go and let God. No, Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, but that middle part's really important. I will make you fishers of men. Jesus tells them that the power for the mission that he's called them on, he's going to give it to them. How amazing is that? Our father calls us to go do something and he says, here, I'm actually going to give you the tools for it. I'm going to give you the power for it. I'm going to give you the motivation for it. I'm going to do it through you. Let me just close with, with this question. So a bit of a diagnostic question. As you're thinking through this, which of these categories seems hardest for you? Hardest to kind of picture as part of what it means to follow Jesus. Is it, is it the difficult part? Do you think, um, gosh, I feel like Christian life should be a lot easier? Um, and, and I'm kind of beaten down by the fact that it's not? Is it the daily part where you're looking and saying, um, I'm not seeing any progress, or I just can't seem to kind of get it together, and it's wearing me out? Is it the declaration part where you've said, you know what, I'm just deathly afraid to talk to anybody about Jesus? But let me remind you again, this is the way that we started our worship service. <laughs> if you are worn out, of the difficulty of this world, if you are tired from carrying your cross, if you are hungry and thirsty in the daily activity of following Jesus, if you are worn out and tired and hungry and beaten down by this world, Jesus says this to you, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is the rest that we're called into. That is what discipleship is. It's following Jesus and resting in him. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we're grateful for um, this passage, for these men who left everything to follow you. But we're so much more grateful, Lord, for the power, the authority that you have to call and to change hearts. We're so grateful, Lord, for the proclamation that your kingdom has come and you, the king, has come to rule in our hearts and lives and in this world. So, Lord, by the power of your spirit, enable us to follow you this morning. Enable us to follow you today and this week and this month and this year and the rest of our lives that we might engage in the difficult and daily process of depending on you and declaring your goodness to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.